0: Welcome to the Makeshift Podcast, hosted by Chris Powell from Full Steam Designs, and myself, Corey Stanley from Odyssey CNC, and today we're joined by AJ Huff from Design the Everything. How you doing this week, AJ? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Pretty good. So AJ does a lot. I guess you'd say you're an insta-machinist. Is that what you'd uh, classify
1: yeah. yourself? <laughs> sure. I wouldn't put myself like deep in the, the machining community. Like I'm not a great machinist. but that is kind of the circles I run in yes
0: nice so we'll say self-taught machinist and product developer kind of like you develop your own product designer
1: engineer machine so
0: your full-time job you are an actual engineer right
1: I was I'm now full-time at design the everything
0: okay that's right and what was the uh, what was the job you're working at the engineering job
1: so I worked for a little company that made what we call checkout stand equipment. It's basically like the, the hardware at the end of a checkout lane at a grocery store that holds like the credit card reader and the monitors for the cashier. Uh, hmm. I designed ones that are in Whole Foods, Walmart, Meyer. Nice. Sweet.
0: Yeah, I could see why you'd want to design everything else than that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Like that could be somewhat interesting. I think the process of how you would like make it and develop it but I feel like you'd probably get tired of, de- you know, making
1: stands. <laughs> yeah, it it was an it was an easy job that gave me time to work on design the everything. Right. Uh, it was not an exciting job, but it, gotcha. it wasn't a bad job.
0: Yeah. Um, so you've been doing design the everything on Instagram for what, four
1: years now, maybe? I would think more than that.
0: OK, I think because I feel like we started around the same time. I remember like we both had like a very small following and now I still have a pretty small following and you're up there now. <laughs> so yeah. So I guess you, let's see. I'm trying to remember all the project. Cause I've been following you for a while. I'm trying to remember all the projects you've kind of been doing. And it was, you were doing, um, spinner, like spinner tops for a long time, right? Yep. And those are pretty cool. Um, and then you've done some trays like aluminum trays that you, do those get anodized?
1: No, those were. Well, I had two versions. I had some that were Sarah coated and then later powder coated. And then I had some that were were raw aluminum.
0: Gotcha. And then your latest project here is a um, not for climbing carabiner. What else? uh, What else you got in there in between there that I'm missing?
1: So my very first product, well, actually, I should say the very first thing I did was start a YouTube channel. I had a YouTube channel before I was on Instagram doing Fusion 360 tutorials. And I still Mm. have that YouTube channel, though it had like a three or four year hiatus, and now it's no longer tutorials. But then my first physical product was a pen that we called the Spire Mm. Pen, which was 3D printed out of stainless steel using Shapeways. And that was nice. my very first Kickstarter, and it, it went fine. I don't think we made money on that, but we didn't lose money. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember? Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. So, uh, you how many Kickstarters have you done now? You've done quite a
1: few, haven't you? Let's see. I've done the Spire Pen, the Buttress Wallet, which didn't get funded, the Arch Top, the Parametric Pry Bar. And now the not for climbing carabiner.
0: Nice. Yes, you've done you've done more Kickstarters than I was thinking. I was thinking you're on like your third one, but yeah, that's that's pretty great. So I guess um, for people who haven't done a Kickstarter, like what like kind of lead us through the process of uh, where you start on that and you know how that went for you.
1: So the advantage of doing a Kickstarter is that you get the money up front and you know exactly how many widgets you need to to make because people have already pledged to order a certain number which makes the manufacturing way easier and more economical because you don't have to try to you know bootstrap your way up from doing a batch of one to a batch of five and you know slowly try to get that economy of scale scale you can start with the economy of scale which is really nice and if your product sucks like the buttress wallet we had (laughs) you'll you'll know right off the bat like you don't have to spend tons and tons and tons of time and money developing a product that just flops. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Th- so oh, that's this wallet right here? Buttress wallet. Oh, which one that is was this? Prototype for the buttress wallet. <laughs> that's right. It says a uh,
0: limited edition. I can't tell because I rubbed it off. I've had this in my pocket for like three years now. I think it was three of five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this thing is uh, got a nice patina.
1: <laughs> so, be... yeah, I
0: bought one of your wallets uh, a few years ago and then. That- I think it was pretty sweet. I like how minimalist it is, you know, mm-hmm. but go ahead.
1: So anyway, back to the Kickstarter. Uh, let's see. I was saying it was efficient. Oh, yeah. So you get the, you know, exactly how many you need to make right away so that you know if you need to buy an injection mold or if you're just going to 3D print your your widget. So um, that's that's why I like Kickstarters and why I've done them, especially because like I, I've never really had money for design the everything. Like, I hmm. started it as a, a college student that was married. Um, I had a kid, and, like, I was working at, at Chick-fil-A at the time. That's when I started hmm. Design the Everything. So nice. a lot of the, the early history of Design the Everything was driven by the fact that we didn't have money, and our products and our tooling was all kind of designed around that. Hmm. Nice.
2: Does uh, does Kickstarter, like, what is what do they get on their end? They, they take, like, a cut of
1: your final sales or something, or...? Yeah, when it's all said and done, they take about 8%, hmm. which honestly, like, it sounds like a lot, like, oh no, I'm losing 8%, but no matter where you sell, you're already losing about 3% to credit card fees, mm-hmm. and most platforms, unless you have your own website, they will take an additional 3 to 5%. Yeah. And so, do they
0: cover all of the advertising too, or does that come at a, a different cut of it?
1: It's kind of like saying YouTube covers advertising for your videos, Yes, it gives people a way of finding you, but they aren't going to go out their way. They aren't going to go out of their way to promote you unless you have proven to them that you are promotable. Mm-hmm. It's an algorithm, just like everything else. Gotcha. It's
2: interesting. So they, I, they just push like a, uh, a more popular product than basically if they see people looking at it or something.
1: Yeah. At, at the end of the day, they're a business and, yeah. you know, they only have so much square footage on their their home page. And if there is a if there is a campaign where there is a 25% chance of somebody buying, they're going to show that instead of one that there's a 1% chance. Mm.
0: So your your business plan, I guess, is are you do you just kind of design out the the certain things you want to make and then your plan is each one of those is going to be a Kickstarter item or is it just happen to be like, oh, this works for Kickstarter or this works for I'm just going to sell these on the website or do you? Do you enjoy doing the Kickstarter because, you know, you can like set aside you can kind of plan a few months out at a time. Like what's uh, I guess some of the pros and cons of using Kickstarter.
1: The the biggest pro to Kickstarter to me, besides having the money up front, economies of scale, yada, yada, yada. Besides that, the main advantage is there is a organic customer reach that I don't get on other places. Hmm. The people who find me on on Kickstarter are completely different than the people who find me on Instagram and YouTube. Gotcha. Um, And generally about 25% of the audience, of the the sales I'm bringing myself, and 75% are coming from Kickstarter.
0: Hmm. Cool. But
1: okay, you mentioned kind of my business plan and how I I envision designing everything going forwards. Right now, as long as Kickstarter remains good to me, my plan is to basically do four Kickstarters a year that are all... You know, not huge. I don't plan on doing a hundred thousand dollar Kickstarter, but you know, do four twenty five thousand dollar Kickstarters, and then slowly build up a product line that'll get steady sales in the background. Gotcha.
0: Yeah, it seems like a smart tactic, Chris. You got any more questions about a Kickstarter?
1: No, I don't think so.
0: Okay, I feel like I had more, but <laughs> <laughs> um, so oh, have you? Okay, so as you run a, a Tormach, right? Was it eleven hundred?
1: Right behind me, eleven hundred MX.
0: Oh yeah, nice. Oh yeah, now I can see it. <laughs> um, well, how, what's your uh, opinion of that? We'll start there.
1: I I love it. It's a great machine. I'm. It's not the perfect machine for everybody. I wouldn't want to be doing a huge amount of production on it, like with the carabiners. I was making. I made a thousand in three weeks, and that was a little bit of a, a painful process. Mm. But for what it is, and for the price, it's fantastic.
0: Right, nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was all about the Tormachs a few years ago. I guess probably about the time you started buying yours, like when they were all the rage, kind of. Um, and but what we had a couple at um, the school. Which I'm going to the, I'm going to school now, but I took some time off and I was going a few years ago. But when I was doing a, a couple of machining courses there, we were using the the is it the seven seventy? I think is the smaller one. Yep, the middle and, one. And uh, I just I was pretty disappointed with it. Just the the horsepower, it would just get bogged down so easily cutting aluminum. And I'm like, man, I feel like this should be just ripping through this.
1: I've heard that a lot about the 770s and I haven't really noticed it in mine. Hmm. I mean, I've, you know, hogged out like those trades. I was hogging out with a three eighths inch end mill at like 150 um, inches per minute. Nice. And it wasn't a problem at all. Oh, cool. But I think the MX machines have a better spindle and motor than the M machines, mm. which may be some of the discrepancy between my experiences and what I'm hearing from other people.
0: Yeah, I could see that. Okay. Um have you have you done any of the uh exometry stuff? I uh, I know you and uh was, is Harrison, right? Is your co-host on Correct. your podcast which is yeah. um Taps and Patients. And yep. I, I did listen to the first episode of that, but I haven't listened to. I think what are you guys on like 14 now, something uh, like that. 13 published today. Okay. So you guys talked a little bit about zometry, and I'm sure you'll talk more about it in the episodes as I get
1: caught up. But what's your uh, experience with that so far? So I haven't taken any zometry work. Okay. And I've decided that it's not it's not the right thing for me at this point in time. I. I wish when I was first starting out that I had done it both because in the beginning, like when it was first starting, it was a lot easier to make money on Zometry. but Mm -hmm. also the, like, it's not a a huge profit margin business avenue. It's something that you use to fill up your machine's time when you have nothing else to do. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you look at it that way, it's basically free money. Right. But, but it's not something that's very high margin for me to focus on. And the only reason I think I would do it at this point is to build the skills. Mm. So, like I said, I'm not I'm not a fantastic machinist. I never have been. I never will be. But the the geometry work is so varied and fast paced that it pushes you to build up your skill set very quickly.
0: Yeah, I could see that. That's like those those jobs that you uh, you don't really want to take because you're, you're not sure if you're ready for it. But then you take the job and you end up learning a lot from it. Like I could see that as being a, a good kind of way to up your skills. It kind of reminds me of from like the woodworkers perspective of it being like Etsy and the way that people like kind of um, fight for prices till they like kind of fight to the bottom. You know what I mean? Like they everybody is so competitive on the certain things they're making that it's like a race to the bottom of prices.
1: But yeah, that's that's a mistake people make.
0: <laughs> so, I well, I guess we should probably for, for people that aren't machinists or just haven't heard of Zometry, I guess uh, clue them in on what it is. They probably have already figured it out by our conversation, but it's just like a platform that you can go and uh, people can put jobs on there and you can accept it. And just, you know, it's similar to Etsy, but for machinists.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Uber for machining. So no, there there's somebody going. with a machine who wants to make parts and there's somebody with parts who wants their parts run on a machine. Chris, you got anything for that? <laughs> no not really
2: yeah you did. outside so, uh the stuff that i do now i haven't haven't done anything with machining in a few years now so
0: so chris did do machining right you did uh <laughs> yeah. school for that uh what was that like 10 years uh, ago 15 years like how long ago did no, you do so that was
2: right when i got out of the navy oh, okay um, i thought it was before then well i sh- well, right when i got out of the navy i went to the hot rod institute there for six months to mm. you know do some car stuff and then mm. once i got to charleston uh right after that i went to our community college here Uh, i had actually started machining like right out of high school when i was a kid and just kind of decided that it wasn't for me and i switched over to auto repair and uh you know obviously that ended up not being for me either i guess because i ended up going back to it so (laughs) but yeah then i uh you know i i guess it was different working at the last last place where i was because it was more like setting up robots and you know that kind of stuff and and the machining we were doing was like precision grinding. So it was, Mm. you know, not so much, not really programming. It's, you know, all the, the programs are designed by, you know, the engineers and everything. It's kind of just making sure everything is running within parameters and, you know, the parts are the, you know, within whatever tolerance they needed to be. So it was a little different doing that, but
0: and then you've got a, a manual mill and lathe in your, in your shop. So he's mm. got, he's got some machining experience. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, what, uh, what? All the, all the tools. <laughs> yeah. So what, what got you into machining, AJ? Was it, or what, what was the best tool, I guess, for education? Was it, uh, Saunders videos or Titans of CNC? Like what, what did you start with?
1: Let's see. I, I I know it must have been just some random tutorials and stuff on YouTube, but I think I had a, I think I got that first lathe that I had. That was my first CNC machine Hmm. before I had any, like before I even understood that I needed to learn how to do it. (laughs) And, Oh, you know what? I take that back. That's not true. I had a CNC router before then. Okay. And it it was a a millwright CNC, a little tiny MDF thing. um, (laughs) It was fine. It, it did what it, needed to do but i I think just through trial and error on that like i I found some random website that had a um a flash player cam basically Hmm. and you could just kind of like draw you know draw a rectangle draw a circle and it would it would cut them Hmm. and from fairly early on i had a lot of, of cat experience already nice um I, I had my first CAD software in in high school. It was like TurboCAD or something like that. Hmm. And uh, later when I started college, I learned Katia and then Inventor and then Fusion.
0: Nice. Um, so I've used Inventor. <clears throat> sorry, Inventor a little bit, because um, when we started the machining program, we were we started with Inventor and then switched to Fusion with I think it within the same first semester. So I know they're very similar, but what would you say are the differences between
1: Fusion and Inventor? So Fusion and Inventor have what, what the same, what's called a kernel. It's like the core programming is the same, but mm. it has a different skin on top. It's like a, a Toyota Corolla versus the, oh, whatever the Scion equivalent is of it. Basically <laughs> the same thing, but different skin on it.
0: Gotcha.
1: And... But the difference is Fusion is laid out more for beginners and they hide a lot of the buttons and commands behind menus and other buttons, whereas mm-hmm. Inventor is designed to be a little bit more uh, ergonomic, if that's the right word for software. It's designed to be quicker to use. So there's a lot more buttons when you first open it up and you know all the icons are tiny and it's a lot more overwhelming when you first look at it. But the core programming is very similar.
0: So kind of the way that Fusion breaks it up into different um, categories. It's like Inventor just has them all. You don't have your little tabs to go through.
1: Well, so that's the other thing is Fusion actually has way more capability than Inventor. Hmm. The The point of Fusion is to be Autodesk's like introductory product for all of their software, like all of it. Oh, I see. And so there are there's elements from Inventor in there. There's elements from... Uh, HSM works, which is their CAD software that goes with inventor. There's elements of power mill, which is their expensive cam software. There's mm. elements of Maya. There's elements of, um, Oh, whatever their PCB software is. Mm. It's all, it's all in inventor so that you can learn it in one place and then go pay for the, the more expensive software.
0: Gotcha. Mm. Yeah. That, that power mill is the, um, the add on you have to have if you use the rotaries, uh, any multi-tool access, but. We were kind of talking about th- about that um, an episode or two ago about if you use Fusion 360 with the rotary CNC machines, how you would do it. You basically have to buy that $1,600 add-on.
1: Yeah. Uh, not exactly true. You can do a lot of it without that. Can you? Though, I think with your machine, I was wondering about this. I was actually going to ask you, is okay. how you do cam on your machine. Because you don't have a, um, a Y axis, correct? You just have X A and Z? Yep, yeah.
0: Yeah, the Y is uh, like the gantry's fixed in place so that becomes the A. Yeah.
1: So unfortunately for you, that is the type of machining that is behind the manufacturing extension in Fusion.
0: (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah, because I was I was trying to figure it out because I I was seeing online that on these different groups, people are like, oh yeah, you can use Fusion, you don't have to buy the the add-on. But then it was because I have that fixed axis. I think if you have four axis rotary, it'll do it. Just not yes. the fixed, yeah. Mm. The, the the wrapping and unwrapping essentially. Mm. So that's annoying.
1: I, I almost yeah, wonder is. if you could tell Fusion that your machine is a lathe. Mm, maybe because for all intents and purposes it is. Mm. And then you could do it in Fusion without the manufacturing extension. You just need the a funky post processor, which yeah. honestly would cost less than the manufacturing extension for.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. you will have to look into that and see if I can get that to work. But I I guess I would still have to trick it. So I'd have to run basically a lathe uh, function. And then I would have to do like almost a four job setup. You know, four different Mm. flat to kind of index it to those four rotations to get any mill work done. Right. Any.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: Non-symmetrical.
1: Yeah. You can only make round things with the lathe functions. You're right. You're right.
0: But it might be handy for like kind of uh roughing down material quick
1: mm-hmm. or making like chair legs or table legs or oh yeah 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 bed posts.
0: yeah i, I do want to play around with fusion more and I'll, I'll have to toy around and see if I, I just assumed i'd wait until i got that power mill extension before i got back into using it for uh cam for the rotary stuff but i don't know yet
1: i mean would any of your customers actually pay for that manufacturing extension like is that even worth your time
0: I've had a few people say, because I, I actually mentioned that, I was like, well, it's kind of out the window on, on Fusion, because, you know, who's going to pay for that? And then a few people were like, hey, yeah, I actually want to use Fusion. I'm like, well, if you guys are going to be paying the money for it, then I'll have to I'll have to get it at some point, justify the cost in some way, and then do some videos on it. Unless I can convince somebody who's who buys the machine to do the training videos, you know, and just be, you know, join in on it. So
1: we'll see you can also pay for like a day or a month of the manufacturing extension and they even Hmm. give you a hundred cloud credits, which you can use for like a month of month of it. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I
0: will have to do that. Like a seven day trial or something.
2: Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you get a seven day trial. What, uh, what software do you actually use to like run your machine, Corey? So I'm using, it's called CNC JS. Oh, and, uh,
0: it's. I like it. I, I like it a lot better than like I used Mach Three before, and Mach Three is good, but it's it's super powerful. Like there's almost there's too much stuff in there, and it's not really. Mm. I don't know. I guess it's set up. It's it kind of reminds me of like flight simulator, like the old like <laughs> Windows <laughs> like ninety five flight simulator, like all these buttons that I don't know what to what to do with them. Um, but seeing CJS, you can like delete a lot of that stuff, or just like kind of mm. just get on the screen what you want. Like you can have a couple macros for like the, tut- the touch off tool and you can like save a profile. So I can make a profile for my machine and put it on a thumb drive. And anybody else who pulls up CNCJS will see what I posted on there. So oh, that's gotcha. pretty neat. Yeah, and it awesome. does, it does great tool pathing all the 3d and all the angles, like kind of like your infusion. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Oh, so it's mm-hmm. the, both the controller and the cam
0: it, no, it's just the controller, uh, the cam okay. I'm using. Uh, I'm, I'm using Aspire. But I'm also toying around with something called a Desk Proto, and I think it's supposed to be—I don't know the exact price on it—but I know it's cheaper than Aspire. But it's also kind of going back to that like less—I uh, don't know, m- maybe more complicated to use. It just has a lot. It's they're just you know set up differently. One thing I did like about it though was the graphics on it load quicker than Aspire. But I also don't have the latest Aspire. I guess like the 11.5 or whatever it is like loads as you're moving objects around which before it would like stall for like 10 seconds after you move it around you're like what's going on (laughs) but
1: and with aspire do you give it a 3d model or are you handing it like a height map or something that it wraps around a cylinder
0: yeah that's what it is it's you can do it both ways i think but i think it's more of the height map like it basically if you have a a 3d object and you bring it in um, it'll just unwrap it and then do that height map so but it does make things super simple like if you like I made something in fusion the other day and the sculpting in fusion I'm not real great with yet like just like rounding things over and all that and mm-hmm. kind of giving it like an organic look is I'm still still getting there with fusion but I can take it into a spire and I can just kind of go into like a sculpting mode and just kind of mm. smooth things out and, and it Almost like, a, I guess it'd be close to like Maya or Blender, kind of how you can just like smooth out things and, and sculpt it. Um, so it does that pretty
2: easily. Have you tried like a touchpad with a pen? Because that's what I use for Carveco. Um, and that makes a, that made a big difference because like I've, it's, it's pressure dependent. So oh, nice. on my like sponge tools and whatever, you know, if I'm not, if I don't want to remove that much, I just barely touch it. And, oh. you know, it just just cleans it up a little bit but if i really need to you know put a a heavy line into something or whatever i can really push in with the pen or whatever um so i haven't
0: tried that i would be interested to see if that works with the spire because i do have a touchscreen um computer Mm -hmm. like laptop so maybe but i don't know if it does like the pressures you know what i mean like i don't know if that's
2: yeah i don't know i got this one behind me here i forget what the company is on it but uh it's a Whatever, it's a pretty whatever the real common brand is of, of uh, touchpads. I'll just be so trying to like, like dig away
0: so. real hard at something and just crack <laughs> my screen.
2: Yes. <laughs> no, So it's not like, it's just a pad. It's not like a screen that you're looking at. Oh, okay. So, you, you know, I'll use it on like my laptop oh. and I'll still have my laptop in front of me where I'm looking at that. And then I'm just, you know, with my other hand, just sculpting him away. And it's got buttons on the side and whatever nice. that I can click to, you know, quickly change to like a racer or, you know, a different like style of tool or whatever.
0: Yeah. So, and I, so and you can
2: set them even even more to, to do fancier stuff. But
0: right. I, I've seen those and I thought they're pretty cool, but I also thought it would be weird It'd be like drawing on a piece of paper, but you're looking at the TV screen <laughs> to see mm. what you're drawing. Like, is it hard to remember no, where your you see, position is? It's like,
2: it's like playing a video game, you know, where like shows the cursor above it. Yeah. You don't have to think like, Oh, I'm pointing here. Like you just instinctively know this is where I'm pointing, you know? Okay. So it kind of works like that. Cool. But Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely makes a big difference for the 3D stuff because I couldn't do it at all with a mouse. Like it was, nice. it was terrible. Um, but that that drawing pad makes a big difference. I'm still not very good at it because that's like mm. an art in its own. But
0: I um, I do need to try that because mm. I feel like I could get a lot better at Aspire and mm-hmm. just getting little details and stuff. And you know, with having the rotary, and eventually I, I want to have like a fifth axis. It would be nice mm-hmm. to be able to make mm-hmm. any kind of 3D object. Like maybe use like ZBrush or something like that, and make like mm. some
2: really cool stuff, and then mill it. Yeah, some of the people are pretty crazy with that stuff. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's that's a whole other world to me. Like I said, that's like that's an art in its own. Just being able to design all that, that 3D stuff. So
0: yeah, I feel like some people that are like game developers should also have CNC machines because the way they're able to like sculpt and make like mm. these awesome 3D characters, like if they had a way to mill it. <laughs> they would I'm sure they'd love it you know
2: yeah yeah hopefully they at least have like 3d printers or something yeah and that's true they can 3d print them they probably all do that no did you see that uh I just made a post about it the polycam 3d it's a new Mm -hmm. app that I just got for my phone so um like I'm you know I'm, I'm building the car and I've got it to where I need to come up with my windshield and like a seat and whatever. And for the seat, I could just take measurements, but like for the windshield, I need the posts to kind of mold themselves to that, the top of that cowl. Um, So I was able to scan it with this Polycam 3d and you can export it as like an STL or an OBJ. I did an OBJ and brought that into fusion and I just had to scale it up. I don't know if, if there's like some, something that I, can do to make it so i don't have to adjust the scale like to bring it in real in, in like the real size but i literally just started playing with it hmm. um but now i've got like the full cowl of my car and i can you know start figuring that windshield out so that should be nice. pretty cool yeah i did see your video on that and it looked
0: pretty good uh, is that just using your your phone with the app on it like you're not yeah. using an actual scanner nope
2: nope that's nice. all the phone and so it's It's not even using like the the front camera. Like I have the iPhone, it's got like the uh, was it lidar on the front. It's just Mm. using the regular camera on the back, and it what it does is like you'll feel it vibrate as it's moving around, and every time it does that, it's actually taking a picture. Mm. So it's like it collects all these positions or whatever. And I don't know how the regular scanners work, but it like origin initially it looks like shit. (laughs) <laughs> and like your your it shows you what it looks like and it's just terrible it's like well that didn't work but you process it and it like it figures out the position of every single one of those pictures and puts it all together and it makes a great model like hmm. i was i was pretty shocked that's pretty cool um i think the the actual 3d scanners
0: are, they use like um it's almost like laser like the light is like bouncing back and forth and they're measuring the distance or something like that yeah, from, from that's the understand. that's
2: lidar right It's like no maybe light something or whatever I, th- I think that's what that Could is be. which I don't know if this can do that but then you have to like hold the phone really weird because you can't look at the screen <laughs> oh, it would right. be for like scanning your face you know it would work great for that because you can look right at it but it's like you would have to be looking at the back of the phone to, <laughs> to get a model or whatever so nice. I don't know how you would do that unless you had like a another monitor or something maybe.
0: Yeah. Have you done any 3D scanning, AJ?
1: I have tinkered with it on my phone. Um, I have an Android. I don't think Polycam is on Android. Oh, really? Mm. I oh. think it's mm. only iPhone, unfortunately. Oh, okay. But yeah, mm. I've played with different apps and stuff. And like, have you ever watched the Corridor Crew YouTube channel? I don't mm-hmm. think so. Okay, you're missing out. It's fantastic. But they <laughs> do a lot of um, a lot of 3D scanning. Them, mm. They do some cool stuff.
2: Nice. I had another
1: one before, um, Hedges,
2: I believe it was called H E G E S. And it just, I don't know, it gave you like really weird models. And then mm. when I try to bring them into Fusion, it just, like you were, I heard you talking about it today, like how Fusion just shits the bed. Yeah. Um, You're talking about it on uh, uh, Vincent's podcast there. You know, mm. when you just try to give it too much stuff, and it's like this just, was giving it way too much stuff. And I mean, I literally was scanning the same exact thing that I was scanning with Polycam. And for whatever reason, they must, you know, smooth smooth it out more or send out less, uh, uh, whatever they are, um, little triangles or whatever. Yeah. So Fusion seems to be able to handle it so far.
0: Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is with that, with Fusion. Because like you can have a, a ton of components and make a giant assembly of something and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But then you bring in like one STL, and it's like this oh, is too yeah. much for me to yeah, figure yeah. out. And you're like, it's like it's a logo. <laughs> like, dude, it's not even. <laughs> this isn't even like a 3D
2: thing. This is a 2D logo. Just <laughs> map it out. I've yeah. I've brought in SVGs before of my logo, and it was too much. It oh like no, crashed the program. I'm like, what the hell? This is a a flat image. Like, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's frustrating. Yeah. Does a uh, does Inventor? like suffer from that kind of stuff? Is that like a fusion thing or is that like a processor thing with my computer or
1: I think it's the way it's coded. So inventor has the exact same issues. Because again, it's the same underlying core kernel. Hmm.
2: Gotcha. I wonder if you can like can you can you like store the stuff you're working with on like an external like uh um Uh, memory card or whatever because like i'll do that with premiere for video editing like Mm -hmm. if i have it all on my computer my computer's done like it won't do anything it won't won't it it just it, it seems like it's gonna catch on fire but if i put it on this you know external um i got like an external solid state drive then it's fine and it like it saves everything to that drive too so it's like you're basically working on that drive um i don't know if maybe you can do that with fusion that might help
1: no, because I think it's like a RAM thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's interesting, I use Premiere the opposite way of view. I I keep my footage on a in a Google Drive, mm. and then I make proxies on my local hard drive, and that runs I've, way I've way, way, way better. I've heard of people,
2: yeah, I've heard of that. Um, this just seemed like a little easier or whatever because I needed a place to store everything anyway, so yeah. easier for for how I was doing it, I guess. But I don't know. It works. It, it, I was like, I was I was ready to go buy a new computer or something. Uh, I reached out to, uh, what's her name? Mary Lou. And she kind of walked me through this because she's really good with um, uh, all the computer stuff or whatever. And she walked me through this and I bought that that solid, that solid state drive and it made a huge difference.
0: Nice. Yeah, I'm, uh, I, I never really used Google Drive all that often until like the last two weeks. And it's mm-hmm. awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why I wasn't using it before. Like, I try to send myself like emails of, like just st- like if I had a picture on my phone and I wanted it on the computer or vice versa, and it would always like destroy it and by the time I got it, it's just like choppy and I'm like, What the hell? And now I can do that, just drop it in the in the in the drive and, and go download it on my phone and I'm like, Oh, this is great.
1: Well, and if you if you're paying for like the business Google account, you can get a different version of Google Drive. It's called like Google File Stream. Hmm. And it lets you map the drive as a hard drive. Oh, really? Yeah. So like my little my little laptop that I do the video editing on to Microsoft Surface, it has 128 gigs of of storage on there. But like I'm doing at least some of my video in 4K and I might have like, you know, a 50 gigabyte video. Well, I can just put that in the drive. As far as Premiere is concerned, it's like it's on its hard drive. And then Mm -hmm. I just do the proxies on the little SSD that's in there and I don't have to use up all my disk space. (laughs) So it's really nice. I like it. That's Mm -hmm. cool.
0: Yeah, Chris doesn't know very much about Google Drive because he's an Apple guy.
1: Uh, No, so we use
2: Google (laughs) Drive for school, for everything. Oh, nice. Like every, I I don't know, and I don't really care for it for the most part (laughs) for that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, obviously I I do see where it it can be helpful. uh,
0: Well, at least you know more than my wife knows about it. Like she pulled it up (laughs) the other day and thought it was for navigation. (laughs) I was like, pull up the map. We're like going somewhere. And she's like, "Uh, I don't know how to use this. I'm like, what do you mean? It's a map. Put it in the location. She's like, is it drive? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like Google drive? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, no. And I'm like laughing. Like, she's like, I don't get it. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, I guess I could see where you're coming from there. I I wonder how many
2: old ladies do that. (laughs)
0: It's not working.
2: (laughs) So I used to, I used to work at this gun store and we, would sell guns like online and have to ship them out. And, you know, they got to go to dealers and whatever. And the owner's girlfriend would handle all that stuff. And she had a bunch of guns that needed to get shipped out. And she's like, Oh, I need like light bulbs and tape and stuff too. And she comes in and she's like, Oh my God, Chris, don't tell anybody this. I'm so embarrassed. But I went into Harbor Freight, thinking they <laughs> shipped stuff out. She's like, I carried all these guns in there in the, you know, in boxes, like ready to ship them. And they were all looking at me like I was crazy. And I was just like, oh, you guys don't ship stuff out, do you? And then she just laughed. I was like, like oh, at least at least they were all in boxes. That's awesome. Yeah, I so I'd at Chris, least what you- Google it. Ooh, <laughs> Good.
1: So, Chris, what are you going to school for
2: uh, blacksmithing now? Uh, we got a, a place down here in Charleston, the American College of the Building Arts.
1: Interesting. So that definitely wasn't an intentional transition. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a question for you. Um, what do you know about closed die uh, forging? Hmm. Closed die forging. Yeah, kind of like like stamping. Like you stick no a idea. piece of metal in there, and there's a you know half of a die on the top and half of the die on the bottom, and it squishes it and oh, and yeah, you make apart. sure
2: yeah. Um, well, haven't really done. Any it, i have a, I've seen some people make like some dyes for uh, making like rounded ends on stuff. So they went, you know, they made the ball and then took uh, two, you know, big chunks of metal, basically heated them up and, you know, smashed them around that ball, ball to get that shape. But nothing uh, detailed. Why? What are you looking to do like uh,
1: molds or something? So, yeah, my one of my business theories is to do things that nobody else does. And at least on the same scales that, that I do. And, you know, like I have these titanium carabiners and I was thinking, you know, what if I can make a carabiner where I just, you know, cut out a blank of, of metal, of steel or titanium or whatever, Mm. you know, stick it in a forge and stick it in a a hydraulic press and just squish it into a finished carabiner. Yeah. Cause no one else is doing that at at my scale. I mean, they're doing that in, in China and whatever, but. I guess that would be
2: like kind of like what we were talking about last week. Corey with like the, the big like drop forges where they're. Yeah, they're dropping yeah. that big hammer on. Yeah, yeah. You would need a uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I imagine you'd still need a little bit of force to do it. I don't know. I don't know if a press would do it like that I don't was know kind if of it's got to be. Like, That's kind fast. of what I was thinking of is like almost like a sheet metal stamp,
0: like stamping out. Are you able yeah. to do that with the carabiners you like punch out everything else but mm. the carabiner itself instead of like casting it?
1: I. Yeah, I think I think I would want to do it hot though. Cuz like that's how you get, mm-hmm. you know, good strong, you know, solid pieces which you would want for a carabiner. Right. I and mean, mm-hmm. I could even start with like a laser cut blank that's like pretty close to the right shape and just Yeah. I think that's probably what you need. And,
0: oh nice. Yeah. I was imagining like up, a sheet stick it in the dies. A sheet and just like a heavy hydraulic that would just be like psh,
1: psh, psh, Yeah.
0: Just keep stamping mm-hmm. them out and then melt down the
2: the waste or something like that
1: i was just trying to think of of cool ways of doing things
2: it would be interesting yeah it'd be be a lot to get it to like a a smaller scale i guess but i I think if you cut them out i think that would be probably helpful so you you know heat up that that little blank piece drop it in your die and then you know you'd need like a power hammer or something probably to smash it Mm. i would imagine there is i just um, don't know if the press would do it
1: yeah, there's a company that makes hydraulic presses that's like 20 minutes away. I think it's like Coal Iron Works or oh, something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, you know, Witterluth and shouting distance of me. Hmm. So I might, I, I kind of want to contact them and be like, is this possible in one of your machines? Because hmm. yeah. one of their yeah. presses they might want compare, to try it. Yeah. They, it, yeah. I could just like make the dies and bring them in and be like, do these hmm. work? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. yeah it's an cool. interesting thought. I was actually going to ask you about that, AG. if you thought about getting getting into casting at all. We've talked about that a couple times on here, just basically casting aluminum and stuff like that. But I saw your uh, your tape measure you did the other day where you milled mm-hmm. that all out of uh, a billet. Um, but I didn't know if you thought about like casting a portion of it and and then finish milling it or getting into casting at all.
1: I mean, it would be fun. It's something I would enjoy doing and it would help me do things again that other people can't do. Mm hmm. But one of, the, one of the things I've learned recently, both with the tape measures and with the carabiners, is that I am trying to do too much of the work myself. And mm. like I just – in order to hit like the tempo that I need to be able to make enough money, like I don't have time to be doing all of the production work and all the marketing and all of the design and all the prototyping and all the YouTube and all – you know, there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of stuff that goes into a business.
2: Oh, for sure, yeah. And,
1: and there are people out there who are really, really good at production work. Mm-hmm. So going forwards, my role is basically basically going to be product design and prototyping. You know, I'll make the the first batch. I'll make a batch for my Patreons. And then after that, I'll pass that off to somebody else to do the production for me. And actually, nice. that's what I did with the tape measures. Um, I prototyped them myself. And then I started trying to do production. And I just... I failed after fail, after fail, after fail. And I ran out of time to keep working on it. And so I handed it off to uh, my podcast co-host Harrison and he knocked, he knocked out the first one in like an hour, basically <laughs> when I had nice. spent days on it.
0: <laughs> that's, that's an inter- interesting, interesting um, way of thinking. Cause I, I mean, I, it's, it seems so, I don't know, simple to think that, you know, you could just do prototyping, over and over and over, like as just your, your job or your niche, but obviously that doesn't pay the bills on its own. So Mm -hmm. handing that off to somebody who likes doing production and then they can tweak it and get it down to where they, you know, they're good at that. Um, It's very interesting, um,
2: like plan of attack kind of. Mm. You got to go on that website there
1: and you can, you know,
2: find somebody to put a bid out on it.
1: (laughs) Are you talking about Zometry?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Use it the other way around. You can be the customer
1: now. <laughs> yeah, zometry is kind of expensive though, and I would rather work with somebody that I know and can like have that back and forth with.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Have you used any of that stuff like with infusion, like uh, or uh, like send cut send or any of that stuff?
1: So I've used send cut send a lot. Um, the all of my carabiners started with titanium blanks that are laser cut at send cut send. Mm and then i just stick them in my machine and do a little bit of the finishing. Gotcha. And that's how i do a lot of my products right now, really. Okay.
0: So you you like send cuts in the like you think it's a good yeah. good business. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. I yep. we so, haven't talked to anybody who uses it like mm. we we've kind of we know about it and we've i, I think they were even at a maker camp. I saw mm. that they had a booth up there or a um, i don't know what do you call it a uh, not a flag but like a <laughs> Sign or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't I don't know if they were actually... Were they actually there? I don't know Chris? if that was them. I think that was
2: somebody else. Um, oh, I thought somebody said they were there. But I didn't see them. Yeah, I don't know. No. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> I've, I've thrown around the idea, too, of uh, doing some parts, like... Uh, mostly just, you know, one-off things. Like, I want to do a steering wheel for the car and whatever. And I figured that would be good. Just send it off to them. They can cut it real quick. And then I can, you know, finish it off with wood or whatever. But... Yeah, I haven't haven't tried them yet.
1: With my carabiner blanks, it was cheaper for me to get the laser cut blanks from Send, Cut, Send than it was to buy the raw plates and cut them out myself. Right, yeah, so I can like, see that. The, the material plus the processing was cheaper than the um, just doing it all myself, which is <laughs> mind-blowing. Mm. Yeah, that's crazy. I should also it's... disclaimer that Send, Cut, Send has given me gift cards for their service before. Oh, nice. No, so I... <laughs> but I do like them and I've used the other services In send cut send. Sometimes it's more expensive, sometimes not, but they're always the easiest.
0: Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. It is. It's pretty cool how these, how these things come around in like communities like this, though, of like, it's, I mean, I guess it's just like that invisible hand kind of of like filling a void in the market of like, I can do this and this makes me money. And then everybody kind of networks together and, and is able to make products, uh, you know, come along easier, through communication and networking it's pretty pretty cool
1: yep and someday i would love to have a business where my core product makes other people money um it seems like a much easier sell than my current stuff Mm -hmm.
0: so i'm kind of i'm trying to think of a way to make that work with like the the rotaries of like because i'm i'm digging into all these things of like different uh like niche markets and stuff like that and a lot of them i want to prove the market first but like because I'm going to have more of these machines than most people to start with. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if I build and sell a few, then I'll have extra parts and I'll build another one for myself cheaper than most people are going to be able to you know, buy them from me. And so I'll probably end up having like a little factory and just be making parts constantly on them. And so my thought is that as I'm because I'm already getting requests for all kinds of stuff, like high quantities of things being made, um, some of it gun parts and other things, but. I'm kind of wondering if there's a way to like everybody who's I mean, it doesn't have to be people that have my rotary, but just like network within the rotary community and be like, there's this much amount of work. Do you want some of this? You know what I mean? And kind of just like farm it off to people. Mm. So it'd be super cool to be able to be like sell somebody a machine and then also be like, hey, when you get your machine, you could choose from this listing of, you know, bid on what you want to do this work for. And here are some items you can make. I think that'd be cool.
1: Hmm. yeah yeah it, it would make sense to like basically have a job shop where you're making parts on your machine so that you can show off your machine because that was one of right. the things I've learned with social media is like if I am making something that is, that is the thing that people will buy hmm. if I stop making that thing everybody forgets about it and it's because when I'm <laughs> making it I show it on Instagram right and when I'm not making it it gets forgotten that makes yeah. sense yeah So if you could always be using your your machine, everybody would see that and go, oh, that's cool. What's that?
0: Mm. Right. I think that's kind of going to be my tactic for for marketing it, because like we talked about it last week, is that I'm going to feel like a douche if I'm always like, hey, look at my machine, like constantly just like, look at it this week. Look at it this week. (laughs) Look at it this week. But if I'm like, look at this new part, look at this new Mm. part, (laughs) like then it's more about the part itself and the machine is doing it. And it's exciting content for me to share, not just. Oh, watch the chuck spin again, you know, or whatever. So,
2: yeah, I think people are tired of seeing me make the the pencil go up and down <laughs> on mine. Yeah, I've been trying to get my rotary CNC to work, and uh, it's not not going so well. But it yeah, Chris has a
0: shapeoko. He's converted, <laughs> okay, and he's yeah. he's right there. He just mm. doesn't have it reading programs yet. Yeah,
1: he's gonna get it.
2: Yeah, we'll see. Uh, now, now that uh, school's done, maybe I'll have
1: some more time to mess with it. Yeah. But so if you were to make a product on your rotary, what would you make? Or on your machine, I mean. The Cyclone, that's what it's called, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, the Cyclone. Okay. Um, so I like—I have a list, and I usually have it with me, that has like 10 things on it already. But uh, just off the top of my head, I have like gun stocks, um, uh, pull cues, hammer handles, axe handles, um, Let's see, like a little wooden mugs you could take to like a craft fair. Um, and I'm drawing a blank on the rest. <laughs> mm. But, you know, oh, and I guess like balusters and spindles and the things that traditional woodworkers would use, like table legs, um, chair, you know, chair legs, things like that. Decorative ones or just ones that you pump out real quick. So mm.
1: You could do like, like you could be like tablelegs.com, which probably is a real website where you have Probably. a bunch of of cool designs for your table legs mm-hmm. that woodworkers can buy. Cuz right. then then your value proposition is clear. Hey, buy this cool leg for me, it'll make your table look better, it'll save you time, and you can make money by selling a table. I've done a lot of the work for. It.
0: Right. Yeah, and and selling models to to other people. I think there could be there could be money in that for somebody whether it was my team or you know just somebody who's really good at modeling and they love just sitting around making the next thing because there's already people to do that that sell models online and make pretty good money doing that. But it doesn't seem to be anybody doing that for the rotary stuff yet, or at least not, not very many. So I think that's something that they could sell models to people and have like a subscription or something like that.
1: Yeah. You kind of have the, both the problem of the, and the advantage of being in a a blue ocean market here where like you're the first going in. So, or one of the first, and so Mm -hmm. not a lot of people know about it, which And, and, but also you don't have really any competitors, but at the same time, you don't have that existing built up infrastructure of existing 3d models and yada, yada. yada. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So I'd say my competitors are the other CNC companies, but a lot of them they're targeting, you know, just like the, uh, maybe the older woodworker in their shop that has like disposable income and, you know, wants to sell them on, you, you have this machine that makes, Parts for you, and you make money off of them that you're already incorporating into woodworking or something like that. But they don't seem to like really um, offer them. I don't know. Is, uh, I wouldn't say the education because a lot of the CNC companies give you the tools to use their machine, but they don't. They don't push like the modeling and like things like that of like yep. really getting in and, and doing more things with the machine or with the software. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd say there's definitely a lot of people out there that that know how to use the rotary, but they're not like thinking of it the way I am, I think. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. I could just be swimming in one part of the ocean that I'm not aware of, that somewhere else there's a big cluster of fish over there already, (laughs) you know. So we'll see. But I think one thing that will be exciting about that is that the more people that do get into it, and if it gets popular, is that everybody's going to be like networking back and forth. And I think that'll be cool of like just seeing the ideas other people come up with and, and use the machines for.
1: You almost need like your own thingiverse,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Rotaverse. Rotaverse. I got. I got to <laughs> patent yeah, that Before we, yeah, before we that let this episode right release.
1: <laughs> Rotaverse. Buy the domain.
0: <laughs> Spinaverse.
2: I'm, I'm getting all these. Yeah. Get that one too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm am pulling them up right now. Actually, I'll sell them to you once I get them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Appreciate that.
0: <laughs> no, but I definitely think there is something there that like, and I and. I think, I think that's one of the reasons I like doing the podcasting and being a part of the community is like w- the three of us can come up with an idea that we might have like some, um, you know, some expertise in or, you know, knowledge from wherever. But you put it out in the community and you have all these people that message you and they're like, oh, you should do this, this and this. And you're like, this is why this is awesome. You know, so if yep. there's enough people out there that all of us could come up with some great idea and network together and have a little honey hole of making money. We just have to, you know, do it.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Can can your machine like, let's say you're doing a table like and you wanted to put a uh, a mortise at the top, could it do a mortise or would the walls be tapered?
0: Yeah, the walls would have to be tapered unless okay. you had the four axis, Yeah, which that's that is the reason why we're going to have another machine that'll have that'll be a true four axis. okay but I was even talking to somebody the other day. it's one of the people that bought the machine for me, but they already do a ton of rotary stuff and for the most part, and they have like a, a Haas machine. So they can, they can already move off center line and do stuff like this. Um, but for the most part they don't do off the center of the axis milling very often. Like he, he said that it's probably 50-50 with him, but he does a lot of really cool stuff. Um, but he's like, yeah, I want to have one that stays on center line and eventually I'll buy the next one from you that goes off center line. But he sees it as like, you kind of need one for each thing. Like if you have one object, like if you're doing hammer handles and that's what you're making your money off of, you don't need to have a four axis machine for that. So just use that on this machine. And then when you want to do four axis stuff, you have your four axis machine over here and, so that's one of the things I was thinking about is because I don't want to come out with a three axis rotary and then next year say, here's here's one that's better. And then people be like, oh, well, I didn't wait for that. Like, I think you actually can utilize both of these if you bought one and then next year you buy the next one, you will still have a place for the old one. You know what I mean? Like, I'm still going to be doing on center line milling on the Cyclones as long as I have them. So.
1: You could sell axe handles to like those axe throwing companies.
0: Oh, that's that's that was what got me into this. That's actually what led me down because I I have an axe throwing place near me and um, I've been thinking of how to make like axe handles for them because I was making axe tables. So they were just like Mm -hmm. these. um, Oh, did you see them? Oh, yeah. I talked to you about kickstarting those. Um, Which did you ever do that? I didn't because I got distracted okay. with the rotary stuff. <laughs> okay. So, but it's actually, I'm going to, I'm going to eventually get back to there. Um, cause my plan is to hit up the axe throwing places as a way to prove that market, but I might as well sell axe tables cause I have a machine to make those also. So if I can prove that both sell, then that's another product that I can hand off to somebody else and kind of say, I've proven that this will sell. Here's the model you guys can go sell as many as you want type of thing. Cause I'm going to get to the point where I'm going to outgrow following those trends. You know what I mean? Like I can, I can keep the machines doing one thing, but it would be nice to have them rotate through different niches and show what they can all do. And then just kind of hand that off to other people. Like, Hey, if you like doing gun parts, here you go. Or if you like doing axes, here you go. But that's, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, that's what led me into it was designing an ax handle. And, you know, just because of my background and being in machining and stuff, I wanted to have, A rotary myself and so me and my buddy Brian figured out how to make it and then we were just super impressed with how well it did what we were hoping it would do and did it better and then we're like well we gotta make our own but make it better instead of just you know chopping up somebody else's CNC machine and uh so that's that's yeah exactly what led us down this road but I do think there is a big market there for like making just custom custom axe handles and taking them to those axe throwing places and being like hey you can either give these away as like prizes, you know, for your your league. So it gets people more interested in leagues or you can, you know, tell your customers like, hey, you can get your own whatever that, you know, because some of those t- people take it pretty serious. So it's like a bowling ball kind of, you know, how you have your team yeah. bowling ball or whatever. You could have your team axes and stuff
2: like that. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. Just see now with uh, like the kind of hobby CNC market there, Onefinity and Shapoko both come out with new machines within this last week or so. Yeah, it's they been got, pretty crazy. They, yeah. yeah, they both got a, f- a four by four uh, machine now. Mm. So, like Shapoko always said, they would never do um, uh, boss screws, and now finally this machine has boss screws because yeah. everybody mm. was like, we want boss screws, you know. Mm. And they even put out a thing saying, you know, even though we don't think it's necessary. Uh, the public has spoken and, you know, we're going to put them on this. Like, they're so reluctant to do it. It's like, <laughs> this is what people have been telling you they wanted for years. And like, now you're still trying to come up with reasons of why not to do it. Like, just give people what they want, you know? Well, I just you don't know. know why they'd fight it. Like, because it they seems th- they think they know everything. Like, with their, yeah, guess their so. software, they, they drive me crazy. And, like to uh, me, like ball screws
0: versus belts seems like a no brainer. like no backlash super rigid it can't wear out on you the way that belts can can't get chips stuck in between them
2: like i i guess if i had to come up with a benefit for belts i'd say that they're more like beginner friendly because if you crash one of those machines you know you're just going to skip teeth if you crash a onefinity something's gonna break you know like that's that's a real real cnc machine essentially or for for all intents and purposes but uh yeah i don't know now now they're both gonna have a four by four um ball screw machine so that ought to be interesting now onefinity looks pretty cool too because now they're putting a uh was it the
0: uh, Mazo? yeah
2: yeah yeah that should be interesting so i'm excited
0: about that and a little frustrated not frustrated but i wish i would have seen it coming i wish i would have known they were going in that direction because we made that tablet for the cyclone look very much like a Mazo, just because I, we, me and Brian like the Mazos. They look cool, mm. and but I mean, we. At the end of the day, it's a tablet with an e-stop button. Like, yeah. there's not a whole lot of design differences you can do there, but um, when I saw them with that, I was like, ah, oh, man, because we wanted, I wanted to put a Mazo on the Phantom, and I probably will at some point, just mm. because I like being able to see my toolpath, and the Phantoms using like a rich auto pendant, and it makes it super easy to use because you just put a Mm. thumb drive in select the file. And as long as you set your, your coordinates, right, then you're good to go. But toolpath lets you see if you didn't put your coordinates, right. If it it just, it's another thing to check to make sure you didn't miss something. And Mm. so I just enjoy being able to see that. Um, And I've missed that since I'd gotten away from my old machine that had Mach three as being able to just verify the toolpath, you know, the, the, the bits in the right location of where I think it is. Um, but those Mazos itself are like 13 to 1500 bucks. Mm. And
2: I think the Onefinity's price is usually like 2,500 is probably the average. I think these, I think they're saying these are going to be, it was either under four or under five. They're actually cheaper than the Shapoko. Huh. Um,
0: yeah, they are showing awesome. a market price of I like,
2: I don't know how they do it.
0: <laughs> I think they were showing a market price of like 4,500 and then marked down yeah. to like, 36 or something. That's um, but yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a cool partnership and mm. the Mazos seem super solid. So it'll yeah. be, and I think it's an all in one controller and control system. Like it's not, it's not like you have to have your separate controller in the machine. I think it's all in one, mm. which mm. yeah, that that's pretty cool that because sense. like our, t- our tablet to make it, we're at like, uh, I don't know, like 300 bucks or something. 350 mm-hmm. but then you add in the controller we have and the controller we have is kind of a higher end durablebal controller because we want to be able to do six axis stuff or uh, be able to have the plugins for it and 32 mm-hmm. a bit and all that stuff um so that puts the price you know at like I think like 800 900 bucks for that and then the mass is mm-hmm. 1300 so I, I'm it's not that they're expensive because they're super powerful software in a cool tablet so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Has yeah. has got our uh, gears turning though. On like, I wonder if we could just sell the tablet to other CNC companies. Like if mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. Onefinity can be like, yeah, we'll put Mazos on all of our systems. Then, mm-hmm. you know, make one that doesn't need to be as powerful as a Mazo mm-hmm. and sell it to Shapoko. Poco, hey, call me. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Onefinity yeah, that also
1: has that uh, economy of scale thing going for them. They're right. not paying retail price. They're probably paying a quarter or less of retail price.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah they have to be, because otherwise they're just giving, you know, Mazo money and not getting any for themselves. Because yeah. if the price is already 1300 bucks and they're pr- marking it up that much, then they have to be at least getting them for half that to be worth their time. So, But it does have us looking into other ways. Like, the way we made that tablet so far is, uh, you know, just milling um, Comatex. And it's two pieces that... Uh, Kind of just bolt together uh, and has all the components inside of it but we are wanting to do a, a better way to like we're, we're looking at vacuum forming it and stuff like that okay. and so that'll be that'll be fun to do in the future is get into doing you know some of that stuff make it a little more legit so um aj you were at imts recently what are some of the coolest things that you saw coming out of that
1: um i mean there's so many Awesome machines there. It's like it's almost hard to tell what is cool because everything's cool. Like oh yeah, they all kind of become the same. um One of the coolest machines I there I saw there is called a Willman. I don't know if any of you guys follow like John grimsmo He's a, a knife maker, mm-hmm. but he got a, a used one recently, and they are just the coolest machines. It's nice. basically a machine that you put in bars. Of you know, you put in a 12 foot bars or a bunch of 12 foot bars, and it just spits out finished parts 24 hours a day constantly. Hmm.
2: Hmm. So it's a lathe, it's like an auto feed one or whatever.
1: So it it auto feeds, um, it's it's both a mill and a lathe, it's what you call a a machine. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and in addition to it, like you know, grabbing the part and milling it, it has a vice where it can turn it over and work on the other side of the, uh, Mm. the part. So it's, you know, Mm. all six sides machined in, you know, one press of the button.
0: That's cool. Um,
1: they, they, They were super cool. The one they had there had two spindles in it too. Oh, nice. So it would be milling the top of one part. And then while it was doing that, it would be milling the bottom of the part that came before that. That's insane. <laughs> so, those are really cool. And I found out they're based, well, their U.S. base is pretty close to mine. They're oh, cool. They're close to me. They're in Noblesville. I'm in Muncie. It's about 45 minutes of a drive. Hmm. But those are, you know, $500,000 plus machines. Right. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, That's insane. There was also the bigger pocket NC machine. Oh yeah. So the, the small pocket NC was like basically the first machine I had that made me money making branding ir- irons on it. Mm. And I really liked that machine. Mm. Uh, but I eventually sold it off so I could buy an air compressor when I moved here. Um, <laughs> but they they are releasing a, a new bigger machine that's still not big. It's like the size of a refrigerator. Like it, it's it'll fit in <laughs> through a regular uh, man door like you don't need a garage door, which is good because I have a really low clearance in here. I can't get anything bigger than a HORMAC in the shop. Mm. Um, but it's a it's a small machine, but it's a very high end one. So nice. they have a lot of things in there that makes it, you know, not just way more precise than the Tormach, but it'll outstrip, you know, basically any of your budget machines like a Haas or a Herco or whatever. Huh. Um, and it's also set up from day one for automation. Um, so it, like basically you can just plug a robot into it and it will load and unload parts for you. Oh, cool. Which for me being one person in a shop, like without, an army of employees like that's that's, that's the weird. easiest way for me to maximize my my income is like just have the right. machine work while i'm yeah.
0: sleeping yeah that's awesome
1: and it's of course a five axis like all their stuff yeah yeah
0: yeah mm-hmm. yeah i was i was wondering what their next version was going to be cuz i yeah i followed you with the pocket nc and then you know they they kind of were wild there for a minute too where everybody wanted a pocket nc and then i didn't hear anything else about them for a while and i was i just figured it was because they're very cool to like learn on and I could see them being beneficial in like an education uh, application, but for like manufacturing, it doesn't seem large enough or quick enough, but I guess they're, they fix that by having a bigger version. Like that's, that's yeah. pretty cool.
1: Yeah. It's a very, their own one was a very niche machine. Like you could make money on it, but you had to pick and choose what you were doing. <laughs> um, their new machine though, again, very niche, but, really cool machine. I I called dibs on a on a beta unit. So hopefully okay, so sometime they're still next the- year I'll get to buy one of those.
0: Do you know what the the price point's going to be on on for the, something like that?
1: Um it's changed quite a few times. When they first announced it, they were saying like 30 to 40k. Now I think we're up at 60 to 70k.
0: Okay. Um hmm.
1: which is in the same price range as like a Haas mini mill for a gotcha. Yeah. Or even a cheap VF2.
0: Right. Yeah, I know a guy who's buying a VF4 with the 5th Axis uh, trunnion on it. And, you know, to do basically, you know, one part, essentially, that he can get on all sides of, almost. Um, And so I didn't know if that would be a better option for him, was going with, like, the bigger pocket NC. But it doesn't sound like they're going to be ready right now, so maybe a down-the-road type of thing.
1: Very different class of machine, too. Like, a VF4 is a serious machine. Like, that is a large machine. Um with a lot of hogging capacity. The pocket NC is a very small, very fast machine that got gotcha. you. You're not going to be hogging on, but you can take quick little zippy passes.
0: Gotcha. Hm. That's cool. All right. Well, we're at an hour and 10 now we can either get into some more stuff or we can get into the patrons and and have uh, AJ back for another episode. I feel like we could probably get another episode's worth of content out of <laughs> just talking about this stuff.
1: Yeah, I'm fine Mm. with that. And my my voice is kind of going on me. I've been sick today and coughing all day. Mm. Oh,
2: that sucks. All right. Well, let me get these patrons pulled up then. So, uh, yeah, we have got a Patreon account. You can check that out over at patreon.com slash makeshiftpodcast. We've got a couple different levels that you can help support us at. And we read off everyone's name who supports us. So we have Keith Drennan from Blackthorn Concepts. Hatch made it. At Johns from ButtJoints.com, Junkyard Jewel, Green Street Joinery, Michael Nye, Vincent Ferrari, Brenda, Chad's Custom Creations, Mike from Pixels to Prototype, Toby Mural of UK Knife Maker Supply, Henry Davis of HD1 Metalworks, Woodland Iron, David Beckwith, Matthew from Artigino Serio, Metal Chef Customs, which is Jake Largan, MaritimenifeSupply.com, Adam Coonrat, and David Wood. So thanks a lot for all that support, guys. We really yeah, appreciate thank you guys. it. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, AJ. We really appreciate it. You had some good uh, insight on some stuff there. Hopefully. Yeah. Uh,
1: hopefully
2: people got a lot from that.
1: Yeah. Thanks yeah, for I having think- me. I really enjoyed it. Sweet.
0: Yeah. I think we could definitely deep dive into a lot more of that stuff, um, especially if any of the listeners show interest in it. Um, but I think we were talking about having uh, Harrison come on at some point, yeah. also, so we could do like a mashup yeah. of uh, the makeshift podcast with um, Taps and Patience. And I think that would uh that that could definitely
2: have some inter- interesting conversations. I think.
1: Yeah, that would be awesome. That'd be cool.
2: So, and cool. Uh, so on Instagram, we find you at uh, what is it? Design the I'm, everything.
1: I'm at Design the Everything on basically all platforms. Okay, cool. Do and, you uh, do you guys
2: have
0: a page yet for Taps and Patience, or is it just like? you guys talk about it on your individual instagrams
1: uh, taps and patience is the best kept secret on on <laughs> my instagram account uh i don't have we don't have instagram for it yet eventually i'll do a yep. youtube channel for it okay um it's honestly i i just really enjoy talking to Harrison. you know once a week oh, yeah. um so i haven't really pushed as much as i should but that's um, that's
0: where me and chris were at was like we basically were having a conversation weekly anyway about this crap and <laughs> Man. And we're like, we, we listen to a bunch of other podcasts and we'd talk to them and we're like, we should just, we should just start our own and talk about the stuff we like to talk about. And so that's why, uh, you know, we, here, here we are. Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> yeah,
2: 25 so. episodes in too. <laughs> yeah. come, they come fast, but you were on another podcast this week too, right? You were on a uh, digitally creative with a uh, Vincent Ferrari.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. He, he dropped that, uh, so much. today. Yeah. That was, I think we recorded that uh, the middle of November. And I thought he mm-hmm. said it was coming out um, like the second week of December. So I was, I was pretty surprised today when I saw it dropped. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, f- I feel like he, he is probably better than us at interviewing. <laughs> I would say <laughs> definitely yeah, better. Yeah, I mean, I'd say he does definitely better. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Vincent Ferrari did a great job making me sound better over there. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, you never sound that good over here. I know.
0: I know, right? It's because I got to think of my own stuff to say. Yeah. Instead of having somebody bait me, <laughs> maybe we could just have Vincent come help us over here. <laughs> yeah, there you
2: go. All right. Well, if you guys don't have anything else, we can close it out. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks again for coming, AJ. And we'll see everybody next week. All right. See you. Bye.